Of all the dumb stats you and I have heard about the internet, I think one of the worst is that all videos should be less than 90 seconds. Okay? Such a flawed statement, and I'll say why. The, the reasoning for the statement is, well, there's a big drop rate after 90 seconds. Yes, true. There's also a very big drop rate after seven seconds. That doesn't mean we should make seven second videos. So what we have found to be definitively true is that the length of the video should correlate much more with where the person is in the buying cycle than anything else. I got to tell you, it's so true what Marcus says about the length of video, and it doesn't really matter. There isn't a hard and fast rule that you need to follow. So many incredible insights, tips, pieces of advice in this episode about not only how to use video, but how to get your sales and marketing teams working more closely together in social media and beyond. Our guest this week, Marcus Sheridan, longtime friend of the program, The Sales Lion, co-author of a brand new book called uh, The Visual Sale. Uh, Marcus is now the co-founder of the Impact Agency. We'll talk a little bit about his work with the agency here this week and a lot of amazing insights uh, about how you and your organization can use video more effectively. You're going to like this episode. Before we hear from Marcus, just a quick reminder, the show this week is brought to you by our good friends at Salesforce. My co-host Adam Brown from Salesforce is off this week, so it's just me, Jay Bear. but Salesforce is with us here in spirit as always. And if you haven't had a chance to download their new research, I really suggest uh, that you do so before the end of the year. It is amazing. They interviewed and surveyed nearly 7,000 marketing leaders from across the globe, and the report that came out of it, the sixth edition of the State of Marketing Report from Salesforce, highlights strategic priorities, challenges, and technologies that transform the marketing profession, especially important to consider as we think about 2021 budgets, 2021 priorities. It's extraordinary. Won't cost you a thing. Right now, as soon as you're done with the show, go to bit.ly slash new marketing report. Let me give that to you again. B-I-T dot L-Y slash new marketing report. That is all lowercase. Thanks so much for downloading that report. I thank you. Salesforce thanks you as well. Marcus Sheridan even thanks you. He's the guest this week on Social Pros. Here he is making a triumphant return to social pros. One of my favorite people on this blue marble of ours. It is the one, the only Marcus Sheridan, partner, co-owner of Impact, author, speaker, extraordinaire, visionary, and all-around good human. Marcus, welcome to Social Pros. Yo, we are back. Dude, it's been too long. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I forgot to check the list of guests to see how long it's been since you've been on the show, but it's probably been a, a couple of years. If memory serves, this is your third or fourth appearance in the long history of Social Pros, which now dates back uh, almost nine years. We're coming up on nine year anniversary of this show, uh, which is extraordinary. But I think, Marcus, since the last time you're on the program, uh, last time you were here, I do not believe that you were affiliated with Impact. So why don't you talk to us a little bit as we kick the show off? Uh, Tell, a, tell everybody out there about Impact, the agency, the work you do, et cetera. Yeah, well, you know, it's um, for a long time, I was uh, 
speaking and talking about this whole they ask you answer thing of mine, right? And I, I consistently heard companies say to me, you know what, this sounds nice. I just don't know if it would work for my company. So I got tired of hearing that. And I said, well, I'm going to start doing this with companies. I want to teach companies how to do this, this thing, this digital sales and marketing philosophy that is they ask you answer. And uh, at the time, my little consulting company was called the Sales Lion. And of course, you know, you still call me the Lion, which is fun, Jay. And I decided to merge that company with a very large HubSpot partner, and I became one of the owners to the company. So my partner there is Bob uh, Ruffalo and a few others, but uh, Impact is um, uh, roughly 65, 70 people. And what we primarily do now is we teach companies how to create a culture, a successful culture of digital sales and marketing in-house. In other words, we don't produce content for companies. We help them learn how to do it in-house. We don't produce video for companies. We help them become great with doing video in-house. We don't do people's HubSpot. We teach them how to become great with HubSpot. You know, it's the old teach a man how to fish feed them for a lifetime model. That's what we're doing. It's very different than what you would consider a traditional agency because we don't deliver work right to the uh, to the client, but it's it's very fruitful. I enjoy it quite a bit. And what's been fun is now we have hundreds literally of case studies that have implemented a lot of the principles from they ask you answer and just the other stuff that I've been talking about over the course of years. Uh, to see some pretty cool results in industries, a, a huge diversity of industries, B2B, right? B2C, the whole nine. I love this premise, Marcus, of if you're going to create content that moves somebody, why don't you just have marketing help sales actually make that content? Because then sales feels a sense of ownership and sales can answer most of the questions better than marketing can because sales actually talks to customers. Marketers <laughs> don't talk to customers that often. It's one of the great fallacies of marketing that you have all these customer insights. Well, maybe you do, but you probably don't actually talk to customers that often in most uh, marketing departments. One of the things that I love about your approach is that in many cases, you advocate using video uh, to sort of create this bridge between sales and marketing, or as you so uh, eloquently called it, the, the revenue team. Yeah. Talk a little bit about, about that, about saying, hey, let's just go get somebody who was a salesperson uh, in maybe a B2B organization and saying, hey, guess what? You, now you got to go make a bunch of videos. Uh, that, that is probably a little bit of a bracing request uh, for some of those folks. And, and how do you get around that? Yeah. So, you know, I actually, I don't even know if you're aware of this, Jay, but I've, I've got a book that's uh, releasing right now on Amazon. It's called The Visual Sale. And it's all about how to create a culture of video within your organization and co-authored it with Tyler Lassard, who's CMO of Vidyard there. And you know, I've spent so much time thinking about this subject, teaching on this subject, working with companies on this subject. We do know one thing clearly, and that is buyers are becoming so very driven when it comes to video. We also know from a sales enablement standpoint that salespeople are much more inclined to share a great video to help a prospect move through the funnel, let's say, than they are a, a, an article or a, some, you know, some type of textual piece of content. The other side to this is that if you really want to get a sales team excited about marketing. 
you can be assured that 99% of them are never going to be good writers in most organizations. But the high portion of your sales team, and this I have found to be true, could be good on video. Now, for some, this would start, or actually for many, could easily start with some one-to-one video where they're just emailing prospects a video in a one-to-one email format, like with a, a Vidyard or a Soapbox or some other, you know, a Loom, Bonbon, any of those platforms. And they start to get very familiar with the power of using video to make personal connections during this, uh, during during email and standing out from everybody else. We also know that if somebody is a good people person, they tend to be very good on camera with a little bit of training. And so that's the thing about this. It's like, you know what? Most salespeople are pretty good with people. Most of them are subject matter experts. Most of them are very familiar with the questions are being asked and therefore can explain it in a way that it makes sense to the marketplace. Yet most marketing departments don't tap into sales to produce video. And you know, the other side to video in general where it's headed. And this is going to sound I don't know scary to some companies, Jay, but time and time again we see that the companies that make the biggest waves with video, in other words, do exceptional things, become that trusted leader, that trusted voice, whatever you want to call it. The companies that do that have an in-house videographer, if not one, potentially many. And one of the things that my agency does is we train in-house videographers. Because what happens is lots of these folks, when they come out of, let's say, college, they're good at producing maybe, let's say, a documentary, but they don't understand how to produce great sales and marketing videos. They certainly don't understand how to produce a really solid YouTube channel and, and page, right? So these things they don't really know. So if they can get trained on that, then it's amazing what they can do. I mean, the thing about it is, it's not expensive to hire a videographer. People think it is. It is so much more cost effective, if you're really serious about video, to produce the majority of your own videos for most companies, there's going to be exceptions, than it is to outsource it. I mean, if you look at the cost to individually outsource a video, and then you say, well, how much is it for a videographer? Because I can tell you this, Jay. So most of our clients that we work with have, like I said, all of them have um, a full-time videographer, and all of them average more than 100 new videos a year that goes on their website, on their social media, etc. So they're producing at least two videos a week that they're using for sales and for marketing. Now, if you do the math on that, and you said, how much would that cost me <laughs> to outsource? It's not even close. Yeah, if you just figure it's a hundred or two hundred dollars a video to outsource on a very, 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 very cheap um, deal, uh, you know, you're still making money on that. When we're thinking about these videos, Marcus, are, are you mentioned the YouTube channel? Are these videos that are resident in YouTube? Do they also live in places like LinkedIn? or Twitter, or Facebook, or Instagram, from a sort of channel alignment yeah. perspective, where could a prospect find these videos? So this is where it gets a little bit tougher. Because let me give an example of why it gets tough, Jay. 
I, uh, of all the dumb stats you and I have heard about the internet, I think one of the worst is that all videos should be less than 90 seconds. Okay, Such a flawed statement, and I'll say why. The, the reasoning for the statement is, well, there's a big drop rate after 90 seconds. Yes, true. There's also a very big drop rate after seven seconds. That doesn't mean we should make seven-second videos. So what we have found to be definitively true is that the length of the video should correlate much more with where the person is in the buying cycle than anything else. And it's not even so much how much they're spending, it's where they are in the buying cycle. So in other words, if somebody's getting ready to write a check or spend money or swipe a credit card for that thing right now, the video should be longer in most cases. Longer to the point where it thoroughly answers the question well. Now, should it still be concise? Yeah, but we always tell our, our, our clients, we want to thoroughly answer the question as concisely as possible. You're like, well, that sounds hard. It's not so hard, but it just means that in order for you to be thorough, if the minimum amount of time to be thorough to teach this particular thing in a video about your product or your service is five minutes, well, then five minutes it is. But when people are getting ready to spend money, they need the meat and potatoes. So this is why if you take Facebook, that is more of a short form platform. That should be less than 90 seconds. That's where that stat comes from. But if you look at YouTube, it's the literal opposite. This is why the average number one ranked video in YouTube search results is about 10 minutes long. That junk don't fly on Facebook, but long form video absolutely flies on YouTube. Now, LinkedIn is more of a middle of the road, right? So I've done tons of videos on LinkedIn. Um, we have clients that have done video on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, traditionally, you're looking at that two to four minute video, right? So this is why if you create the long form video for YouTube, and then you have that in-house videographer or your video, whomever, to edit it for you, they can repurpose it and they can create that 90-second version for Facebook. They can create that four-minute version for, let's say, LinkedIn or that three-minute version. And now everybody wins because what we don't want to do in most cases is just slap the exact same video across all the platforms. Generally, that doesn't really work. And, and I think what you're going to find, too, is that you don't stand out. Because the more and more I'm around social, Jay, and I don't know if you feel this way, I feel like you're much better off putting clear energy into one platform than to, than to trying to be a jack of all social media trades and end up being a master of none. Is there a role for live video in this circumstance? <laughs> I mean, could you do an ask me anything with a salesperson or two salespeople and invite prospects and say, all right, just what do you want to know about the product or, or the service? Or does that put too much of a burden on a group of people, i.e. salespeople who maybe don't have enough video experience to sort of do that and work without a net. If you and I'm so glad you asked this question, Jay. How many times did you see when live started to get big? I guess it was a couple years ago, maybe two years ago or something. But how many people said, live is it? Live is the future. And let, me, let me just tell you, that's not what I'm finding at all. I think live is amazing for 
live. In other words, if it's an actual event where real time matters and the information therein isn't, let's say, evergreen, isn't legacy, well, then it makes a ton of sense. Yes, do that. If you are you know, if, if, if there's a, a boat show that your company is showing at and you want to do a live video, that makes a lot of sense because the subject matter is finite. But for that same marine dealership that is doing a video on how to winterize your engine, it doesn't make sense for that to go live, right? So the difference really there comes down to in most cases, is this a question we get all the time outside of this particular event? Well, then we don't necessarily need to go live because there is a lot that goes into live. And live is nice. Live is great for events, but I don't think live should be the majority of video production for most organizations B2B and B2C. I mean, it's not a perfect analogy, but look at television. What portion of television, and there is more TV than ever, (laughs) if you think about Amazon, Netflix, Apple TV+, Disney+, there's more content of that format than ever. How much of that do we watch live now? Sports. That's mm-hmm. literally the list, and mm-hmm. maybe and maybe a debate. Uh, that that's literally <laughs> right, right, it, right, right, right. That's it. <laughs> so so it doesn't have to be live to attract an audience. I love the way you frame that up. I, I, I want to ask you a question about the videographer circumstance uh, briefly. Here we are, still in uh, pandemic times. Yeah. Uh, and and so, what does that do for your staff videographer if the organization is largely or entirely still working from home? Is the videographer in your organization now coaching people uh, remotely on how to set up their own cameras and lights? Or are they saying, hey, let's let's use uh, Zoom or Ecamm or OBS or Wirecast or something like that to create these videos? W- what are you seeing in that regard day-to-day with your clients at Impact? Yeah, you actually... Uh, it- I don't know if you intentionally just did this, Jay, but you brought out something that was incredibly important about a videographer, and that is this. A videographer, if they're going to be really successful, generally, they have to be extremely strong socially and not just strong in terms of their technical abilities to produce videos. The reason for this is because they are consistently interacting with and coaching the team, the employees, etc., on how to produce that visual messaging. So for some organizations right now, that is, to your point, the videographer saying, hey, let's get on a Zoom call, and I'm just going to interview you, and you talk to me just like you would talk to a customer. How does that sound? Right? That's it. Other times, it's the videographer is you know, going to, uh, they're, they're meeting on a location, right? And depending on where they are right now in the world or what state they're in or whatever it is, there's going to be you know, different limitations that they have. But in those moments, they have to be very strong at coaching the situation, whatever that situation is, making it work. Because the fact is, if your sales team is helping create videos, and it's just done over, let's say, video conferencing, that's dramatically better 
than if they were doing no video at all. And every moment your team spends doing some video, they get more and more comfortable with it. You know, the, 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 the biggest thing that's evolved for me professionally, Jay, since COVID is, you know, I was, I, as soon as COVID started, I, I, I begun teaching about how sales teams can be more effective when they're selling over video. And uh, so suddenly I found myself working quickly with some pretty big brands and teaching sales uh, departments of 200, 300 people on how to make that shift. Because 71% of sales reps in the world are outside sales reps, right? These folks have had to go inside now. And I, I think a lot of marketing departments have missed a huge opportunity to help teach these teams to get comfortable quickly with video conferencing for sales. Because many, so most of us marketers have been doing this for you know, two, three years. Most of these sales reps, especially outside sales reps, have not been doing it. If they were doing one-to-one video, this wouldn't be as uh, uncomfortable. If they were doing video with the marketing department, general production, it wouldn't be as uncomfortable. Or if the marketing department would just take the time to teach and train some of the sales team how to be more comfortable on a platform like Zoom, it could make all the difference. This is a, this is a, a classic time to align those two departments. And still to this day, the number one email I get from marketers around the world is, I just don't feel like I have the buy-in from leadership and from sales. So every little thing we can do as marketers to build those relationships and to ease those, whatever you want to call those frustrations or obstacles the sales teams have, that's going to bode well for us in the future. Let me ask you about a a related topic, which is the notion of social selling, something that's been discussed for many years now in in different uh, corners of the marketing ecosystem. Where's your head at today with regards to social selling, the idea that salespeople can be more effective if they use social media to not only research their prospects, but interact with them in a way that transcends or is outside the boundaries of the typical marketing uh, use of, of social media. What do you think about social selling now in 2020? Uh, and and how does it sync with the uh, idea of, of salespeople creating videos or, or does it? Well, it 100% does. I think it's been a lot slower to evolve than many people would have expected or many people would have liked. Um, let's, be, let's be frank. It's intimidating and it takes time. It takes time, right? So, I take all the different organizations that I work with right now, and I work with a whole bunch of sales teams. I would say less than 5% of all the salespeople I work with have any semblance of a brand on social when it comes to their uh, professional you know, platform. And obviously, LinkedIn is the place for the majority of these folks. And most of them, still to this day, the high, high majority, are intimidated by it. But does it work? And there's no question that it works. But I think it works in a way that too often we don't talk about. Let's see. You know, so LinkedIn for me has been huge for social selling. But how is it done? The way that I have found that it's done 
It's not actually done for me by prospecting. So, you know, a lot of salespeople see LinkedIn as a prospecting tool. For me, and this isn't for everybody, but for me personally, the primary purpose of LinkedIn is to show previous clients the content that I am now talking about so as to garner new interest and to therefore have me back out for a workshop, a training, or a keynote. So as an example of this, and of course you know this, Jay, because you use LinkedIn, but I will put, so every single event that I do, I will now ask everybody, connect with me on LinkedIn today. I didn't do that before because I was all over the place. When I said I'm going to go all in on LinkedIn, it made it easy for me to say that. This is where I live. This is where you can find me. Now, they all connect. Then I produce the video content. I produce the written content, etc. I usually do, let's say, four to five a week. What I'm most paying attention to is what companies are watching the video. And consistently what I see again and again is a message comes in to me that says, Marcus, I didn't know you spoke about that thing. I didn't know you offered that service. Is that something that we can talk about? So for me, this dramatically extends that relationship that I have with the client. Because as you know, in our business, oftentimes it's a one and done, right? Work with client one time and they think, well, that's their message. When in reality, you can say I've got more stuff, but it doesn't register until they hear the new stuff. They hear right. new stuff and then they reach out to you. To me, that's the great, that's the great purpose of LinkedIn. I, I think the struggle with prospecting on LinkedIn, and yes, it can happen, and yes, some people are very good at it, but the struggle is, and this is just the facts, most people still don't check their LinkedIn messages very well. <laughs> don't do it. I do it because I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. Most definitely do not. So you could reach out on LinkedIn, but they're not even checking you or they're getting inundated in pretty poorly done LinkedIn messages, which is why if you're going to do something for prospecting, you should be a lot more creative than just a very standard LinkedIn message. For the most part, that doesn't work. But in terms of learning the people and the positions within an organization and who to reach out to and how to connect, it's actually a really strong platform for that. Most companies still have yet to really train on LinkedIn well. Most companies definitely do not have a culture of the sales team using LinkedIn. And most salespeople absolutely don't understand what does a good content strategy on LinkedIn or social for that matter, but in this case, LinkedIn look like. Yeah, I would, I would agree that LinkedIn is similar to Instagram in that the differences between people who are good at it and people who are not good at it are vast. <laughs> and and there great. is That's a great. tremendous amount of opportunity on that platform. And I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. Uh, I completely agree that that nurture of relationships using content in LinkedIn may be a better playbook than just trying to turn up net new leads using advanced searches and filtering 
Um, not that the LinkedIn Sales Navigator feature isn't useful. It's super useful, but uh, I don't know that that's its best and highest use. And obviously, most of the time here on the show, we talk about uh, LinkedIn marketing solutions and the ability to use LinkedIn to target audiences top of the funnel with content because you can do a lot of yeah. things in LinkedIn you can't do other places, right? That's you can right. actually show ads to people based on job title, et cetera, which is not something you can do in a place like Facebook. Speaking of which, Marcus, you talked about that you have chosen LinkedIn as sort of your home base yeah. in social media. If you want to interact with Marcus, LinkedIn is the place to be. Part and parcel of that decision was your sort of overt um, uh, determination that you are essentially going to leave the Facebook platform uh, as a marketing thought leader and expert, author and speaker. Uh, you certainly had a, a significant audience on Facebook and a lot of interactions there, not only with real people and real friends, but with people who follow your work because they know of your work. How did it feel to just sort of say, hey, I'm I'm out on a platform with the kind of reach that Facebook possesses? And is that a decision solely because you want a sort of single source on LinkedIn or were you also sort of frustrated with kind of the tone and tenor of, of LinkedIn here in 2020? I've certainly heard that story from a lot of people. Yeah, you mean Facebook, right? Yeah, sir. This really great question. I'm so glad you brought it up, Jay. And you know, let me preface this, of course, with just because um, whatever I'm about to say works for me doesn't mean it works for anybody else it doesn't mean that it's the right way, right? It doesn't mean that it's the right way. But what I found was when I looked in, you know, I think self-awareness um, in, in many ways is a lost art. And one of the... Oh, I thought you were going to say is uh, totally overrated, but okay, go <laughs> No, I think, it's a, I think it's a lost art, right? And one of my big goals for this year was to increase my general self-awareness and to ask a lot of questions to myself. You know, I'm a question guy, right? I want to start asking a lot more questions to myself. And so I started saying things like, if I get lost on a platform in terms of wasting time, um, where I'm like, where did the last 20 minutes go? Which one is it? And it, and it was Facebook for me. Um, and I said, is there a platform, or when it comes to Facebook, do I generally feel better about life about the state of the world, about people, when I am on Facebook and reading? And the answer was no. And so I had some options, right? And everybody says, well, why don't you just mute people? Well, that's a bit hypocritical to me. Why? I don't want to mute people because at that point, why the heck did I accept them as a friend? I wanted to learn from people. But it became so negative that for me, it felt like my energy was lower when I was on the platform. I also always had this battle of so, and we all have this if, if we have personal brands, if we have businesses, it's like, how much do I talk about business? How much do I talk about personal? You know, what's where does it all mix? And so it was really nice when I could say, if I just do this on LinkedIn, I can just talk about business stuff, maybe some personal development because that works for the platform. But I don't have to worry for the most part. There's some there. But for the most part, I don't have to worry about this division of society and uh, political parties against each other, which really bothers me and makes me you know, incredibly sad. And this whole us versus them, if you're not with us, you're against us mindset that so many have these days. 
And so I said, I think that my brand will actually do better if I just put all of my focus on LinkedIn. And that's exactly what happened. I quickly became happier. Now, what I do miss is I miss people like you, but I can still reach out to you on Messenger, right? I just don't know the passive um, updates of my friends. I'm okay with that. I also didn't leave the platform for a while. I think I would have left sooner had it been for Facebook groups, which I still think is the strongest element of the platform. And it does bother me that Facebook you know, locks you in, in in different ways. You want to have a business platform, somebody's got to own it with their personal uh, account, right? And so that's that's problematic because if I get out, well, the people and somebody on my team has to keep Facebook going so that they can run our company page. That's problematic to me, but it's, you know, we have that at Riverpools, but in terms of Marcus Sheridan and my company, I just stopped it entirely. I don't, I don't regret it. I feel really good about it. And the, the experience that I've had on LinkedIn has been really exceptional. And I feel like I get better and better every week there as well. Straight from the lion's mouth. You heard it right there, folks. (laughs) All right, last uh, two questions that we ask everybody here on the podcast. Marcus, first, tell everybody about the new book again and where to get it. Yeah, it's called The Visual Sale. And if you are looking to create a culture of video within your organization, this is the book for you. And it starts with a sales-first mindset, just like we talked about earlier, Jay. You can find it on Barnes & Noble. You can find it on Amazon. It's really not for the person that's just looking to you know, the solopreneur, the vlogger that's looking to promote videos. It's really for the company that wants to have that culture of video. I'm excited about it. Talks a lot about virtual, talks about virtual selling as well, virtual events. And we wrote it before COVID and then COVID hit and we added some new sections afterwards. It's actually been done for a while. And so I'm really, really thrilled that it's out. It came out at the right time because video has never been hotter really than it is right now. Great that you did it with Tyler as well. Big friend of the program. Love the guys at Vidyard. Uh, Marcus, you remember we've asked you these questions in the past in your previous appearances here on the podcast. Uh, First, what one tip would you give somebody looking to become a social pro? I think the most important tip, this is for any type of communication we do. It's very much applicable to social media, but also to stages. And uh, that is this. Too often, when it comes to social media, we try to sound smart. We don't even realize it, but we try to sound smart. One of the best phrases I've ever heard in this industry is, it's dumb not to dumb it down. And I believe that is so very, very true. You don't need to impress anybody. And if you release that, people will sense it. Like, this person has nothing to prove. They're just talking to me. And that literally allows everyone to drop their guard and say, I trust this person. There's so much power in that. Yeah, I love that. Don't try to pretend you are what you're not. And yeah. it's okay to say, I don't know. That, yeah, that's it, man. You don't, you don't have to be a genius. You, don't have to, you just don't have to impress anybody. You do not have to do it. Let that go. I don't know how many times I've had you know, somebody say, Marcus, you know, here's a speaker clip of me. What do you think? Or here's a recent video I did. I said, and I'll almost always say, oftentimes when they're getting going, I can see you're trying to impress me right now. Do it again. 
and don't try to impress me. Just talk to me. And it's unbelievable the difference that it makes, Jay. Yeah, I see it all the time with uh, writers, which is sort of my primary medium or has been historically, you know, when people are trying to write for an audience, they kind of fall into consultant speak or author speak. And uh, it actually usually weakens the work, doesn't uh, doesn't strengthen it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Last question from Marcus Sheridan, uh, partner at Impact, author of the new book as well, Visual Sale. Go out and get yourself a copy. Uh, Marcus, if you could do a video call with any living person, who would it be and why? Hmm. It's a tough. I, it's, it's a tough question. I think, you know, there's one person that I would love to debate with because I like what this person says, but I also disagree with a lot of what he says. And it's Simon Sinek. And I tell you why, because I the the ideals that he has are so true. What, how, why? I believe in them so much, but I think sometimes, oftentimes they're almost too idealistic, right? And so I would love to have a conversation with Simon to really hash it out because I have so many things I would like to have a just a, a fun conversation about and see where my mind lands when we're done. I love that answer. Uh, certainly somebody whose work has impacted so many people. Uh, some of his conclusions, I agree, are sort of reductive, almost in a Mal Malcolm Gladwell kind of way, right? Yes, like, yes mm -hmm. this is true, but, but this is an oversimplification. But by the same token, if you're trying to make sure that your work has the broadest audience, an oversimplification is typically what is required. Yep, that's right. Uh, that's right. Know, that's right. Both, too. both on stage and and in between the pages, and that's just kind of how it works, right? Um, so yeah, I think that'd be great if you if you hook up the Simon Sinek Marcus Sheridan video <laughs> call. Please yeah. let me know. I will. Uh, I'll be happy to moderate that conversation. Uh, <laughs> No additional cost to you. you yeah, that's moderator I know, so, so oh, that would be kind. awesome. Thank you. Friends, that is the one, the only, the former lion, still a lion, just doesn't <laughs> use the lion branding as much, Mr. Marcus Sheridan, a triumphant return to social pros. Make sure you grab the book, Visual Sale. Marcus, thanks so much. Thank you, brother. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Social Pros Podcast. I am your co-host, Jay Bayer from Convince and Convert. We will be back next week with another exhilarating episode. I think actually, if uh, the calendar is correct, next week will be Adam and Anna and myself on the microphone, all three of us uh, talking about the uh, 2020 year in review. And boy, <laughs> what a year to review. A uh, couple of things to talk about. So that will be fantastic. Thanks as always to our sponsors at Salesforce. Friends, uh, keep yourselves healthy. Keep yourselves happy. We appreciate uh, the attention of each and every one of you. Hopefully this is your favorite podcast in the whole world. This has been social pros.